episode 19. Here we go. Today's conversation is with Andre Neves, the CTO and co-founder at Zebedee. In our talk, we discussed Zebedee's business, how it ties into virtual worlds or the metaverse, some of the early metaverse applications, specifically gaming, and how Bitcoin on the Lightning Network can be integrated into games to change incentives for both players and for their fans watching. We also discussed more technical concepts. Andre gave a great breakdown of LNURL, its history, how it works. We talked about Lightning addresses and the adoptions being seen across the Lightning ecosystem today. And we discussed Bolts, specifically Bolt 12 and how that works. If you're enjoying the show and if you learn something new, the best way you can let me know is by sending in some sats or sending in direct messages uh, using any Lightning podcasting app. My favorite one to use is Fountain. Uh, I read every message and I can't wait to see what you guys send in this week. Um, just a quick shout out before we get into the episode. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning node infrastructure. I'll have more on Voltage later in the show. Andre, thanks for taking the time to chat today. How's your day going so far? Hey, Kevin. Doing good. How are you? Great. Um, we've got a lot to cover. How about we start with Zebedee's website? On the front page of the website, there's a big banner, and it says, um, Powering Real Economies in Virtual Worlds. Can we start with a breakdown of what that means to you and how you kind of think of Zebedee's business? Totally. Um, great question. And uh, the tagline really is meant to be broad to envision, you know, what we believe Zebedee is, uh, you know, the, the role that Zebedee is going to play in the future. Uh, so we are a gaming fintech and we focus on providing Bitcoin based payment solutions and payment processing solutions for gamers and game developers. Right. Uh, and, you know, we, we both have solutions for game developers that need to power their games with Bitcoin uh, over Lightning, as I'm sure a lot of uh, the audience members here would know. Um, but uh, we also have solutions for gamers, which are the gamer wallets, the integrations with Discord and Telegram and so forth. Um, our vision really is that, uh, which I think is important to touch on, is the notion of this metaverse, right? I think uh, nowadays everyone likes to say the word metaverse, and it's now a buzzword that, that comes and goes. Uh, and it means everything, and yet it means nothing. Uh, I think this metaverse that everyone likes to talk about, uh, what it really, really means is interoperability. It is not actually, you know, this one single metaverse that exists and everyone is a part of. Why do I say that? Um, you know, nowadays you have these big centralized companies like Microsoft, who actually just bought acquired Activision, you know, in a massive $70 billion deal. You have Sony buying Bungie uh, on the on the PlayStation side, um, and you have Facebook with Meta and their entire you know VR environment. Um, these are individual virtual environments. These are you know advanced virtual environments. Uh, if in Microsoft's Metaverse A, you have Microsoft Coin, and then in Meta in Meta's virtual B, you have Facebook coin, and then in Sony, you have the PlayStation coin. Uh, these are not what we all want the metaverse to be, right? Because you're, you're, you're essentially just having slightly more advanced virtual worlds and virtual experimentations. Um, in order to have a metaverse, you need to be able to move from one virtual world to another virtual world seamlessly. Um, 
you can you can put that comparison into the real world today. If you travel from the United States to Europe, you have to do a currency conversion. You can't use your dollars over there, right? And vice versa. Now, the same thing is going to happen if we have individual virtual worlds that are just slightly more advanced virtual worlds. So they could be all encompassing. That could be VR, XR, AR. But they still have their own value. They still have their own tokens. They still have their own money. Uh, the metaverse that we like to say is uh, interoperability. And in order to have interoperability, you need a single medium of exchange, a single store of value, a single money, a single value that is used throughout, right? Uh, and that is what Bitcoin does. And so we believe that you know Zebedee is the pipelines, the rails that will enable all of these virtual worlds, which can be games. It could be a virtual world like we are in right now. Um, you know, we can transfer 8K video, we can transfer audio, uh, you know, text, etc. But you simply cannot transfer value across the internet. Um, and, and we like to say Bitcoin is magical internet money, right? So uh, Bitcoin, Zebedee wants to enable such that all of these virtual worlds can power themselves with the same money, and then going from one virtual world to the other is simply pick up your bags and go to the next you know log in log out over here log in over there uh, your identity would likely carry across your value would likely carry across right so and your money will carry across um, so the beginnings of the metaverse really are dependent on interoperability you can't uh, if we had an internet in the United States and an internet in Brazil and an internet in Europe you wouldn't have the sharing of knowledge and sharing of information that we have today um, so we need to have interoperability between all of these virtual worlds um, and then you know the notion of the real economies is because we believe that uh, you know virtual economies will very soon be and are currently becoming much bigger than real economies when we say real economies, we're talking about you know the GDP of a certain country in the world. Um, you have massive virtual worlds like World of Warcraft, uh, which has billions of dollars in economic value being transacted in there. And why is that interesting? And it's because virtual worlds don't have geographical limitations, right? We don't have the notion that I'm playing with a person that lives in Japan. I cannot talk to them. I cannot send them money. I cannot, you know, interact with them. That's not the case. In virtual worlds, you can interact with anyone from anywhere at any time, right? It doesn't matter if it's night or day. The internet is available to you. So um, we truly believe that virtual economies, uh, as Bitcoin scales, as Bitcoin gets adopted, it will power these virtual economies and they will become much, much larger because they're not as constrained uh, as real economies are. So we want to bring real economies into virtual worlds and we want to be the pipelines and the infrastructure for that that's fascinating i really like that um analogy of like the currency swaps too in, in different countries um right now i just looked it up global gdp is about 80 trillion dollars um <laughs> well, how first off i guess as a as a guess from your end like how big is the metaverse gdp today and what are some of those applications that are going to take it to you know being larger than than global gdp like that's a that's a big number to kind of like um tackle what are those yeah. early applications that you're seeing success with definitely i think you can see some uh you know use cases on world of warcraft the old days of eve online uh you know which have massive Know, economies, which are these MMORPGs, right? M massively multiplayer uh, online RPG environments, which uh, you know you have real worlds, right? That that you can become your 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 own self, and you trade, and you interact, and you battle, and you have missions, and you do guilds. Um, I think it's you know to your question, how 
how much you know capital or economic activity exists in the metaverse today uh, I think again it brings me back to the point what is that metaverse are we talking about Facebook's metaverse like how, how do you quantify that because metaverse is, is like saying how much money is in the blockchain right but we all know that 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 doesn't truly make sense if you understand what a blockchain is um, and and like there are many blockchains actually right you know we we seem to think that Bitcoin is is the only uh, one that that the deals with money but there's actually other blockchains so when you say how much money or economic activities in a metaverse it's really hard to, to quantify um, I think what is likely to happen is um, you know we will continue to see an evolve like sort of advancements uh, to VR AR and XR experiences um, and and you know you continue to see the blurred of blurring of the lines between what is real and what is virtual right we are in a virtual environment again but nowadays we do this every single day we get on a phone call and we get on a video conference and we do this is this is this not real now um, you know it, it transacting money over Bitcoin that's online and it's a virtual environment but we do that in real life as well in the real world so um, I think these technologies will continue to blurry the lines between what is real and what is virtual uh, and we'll continue to see that mix and you know, my, my guess is that um, I would like to say they were already living in virtual worlds consistently every day, whether it's a, a, a you know, a 2D, let's call it virtual world like Twitter, where it's just videos and text and, and image and you see that in a 2D environment, or if it's a, a full blown 3D VR environment where you put a headset on and you can interact with people across the world. Um, so I think we'll consistently and continue to move that direction. Um, and with that, all the economic activity that happens in real worlds will begin to slowly shift. Uh, we've seen things like, uh, in, a, in a slightly tangential, we've seen the growth of, of use cases of, of stable coins, right? This has grown tremendously over the past uh, uh, couple of months and years. So uh, you can have your own takes on stable coins, but the, what the matter of the fact is there's a demand for money that moves faster in a digital realm. Um, and this is what we believe Bitcoin and Lightning does in virtual worlds and specifically in games. Um, so it's it's going to see to be an exciting journey. But I think uh, I don't know that there is a you know specific single point or a specific single application that needs to be created to begin to migrate over to virtual worlds and such that virtual economies are bigger than real economies. Um, I think it's just a step by step process. Um, yeah. Do you think there are certain components of these virtual worlds? Like you mentioned VR, you mentioned AR, uh, there's traditional gaming, there's maybe social media, if we could kind of like classify these different segments. Do you think any of those segments will be disrupting to other segments? Like will we eventually get to the point where everything is one, everything is AR, everything is VR, everything is kind of like in one component? Or do they kind of all work together at maturity? I think the it's it's interesting the the real in my opinion the real metaverse that everyone likes to talk about the real advanced world where you have real and virtual interconnected is an XR experience it's an AR experience so it's a mixed reality experience I don't think uh, and and maybe I'll be wrong on this in 10 years but I don't think virtual reality technology with a headset will it will ever give us the true presence in a virtual environment right i think there will always be things plugging to you uh, to, to your body and to your senses so um i would like to to say that ar and xr which are mixed reality and artificial reality, right um augmented reality sorry those would be the the 
the big proponents. And I think that, you know, the, the ideal scenario is you put in a, a contact lens that has a little thing and, and you can see VR environment things inside of your uh, real world. Um, you know, I, I would hate if the future is a bunch of people with headsets on inside of their homes, um, you know, and, and inter interconnected on this, this online metaverse. If you've seen the Ready Player One uh, movie uh, or even read the books, uh, you may be familiar with, with that. that. That is effectively what that future uh, talks about. And it's a bunch of people in their individual, you know, homes uh, and the world in real life is, is sort of being, dying slowly, but their, their world in virtual worlds is, is thriving and they're, they're spending quite a bit more time in virtual worlds. Um, it's it's a tough topic, though. I think uh, as Zebedee, we don't, you know, we're not dealing with AR, VR, and XR at the moment. I think there are game developers building on these experiences with Zebedee software. Um, but I think what we're trying to target is essentially let's build the infrastructure such that the developers and the gamers and the players can come into the space uh, rather than just building games such that a handful of gamers can join, right? We're building the infrastructure for the next set of developers to build uh, upon. Um, so that's what, you know, the future would like to see a little bit, I think. Right. And when it comes to monetizing these experiences and like enabling money to flow through whatever version of the metaverse um, you believe will exist, do you think all of that then happens on Bitcoin or is there any rule for, like you mentioned, stable coins, uh, we're just coming off the heels of Facebook shutdown of their uh, DM project. Is there a rule for something else other than Bitcoin? Or do you think Bitcoin, as you kind of mentioned earlier, like makes it easier that you don't have to swap between different currencies as you travel to different countries? Do you think that's kind of like a winner take all? In short, yes. I think I think uh, money is not something that um, you know. In, in in history, money has been something that's been dictated by a ruling state or a ruling party, right? And and it's sort of enforced onto uh, the citizens of such uh, country. Um, I think now with Bitcoin, we have something that is not controlled and not owned. Um, and I think uh, it's it sort of all of the the aspects of a new form of money that is needed in order to change perception. Um, I, let me try and rephrase. I think Bitcoin is just an inherently new form of money, right? It is not the t same type of money that we have had in, in, in this, like up until this point. So I think uh, Bitcoin is a winner take all. It, it'll be in a world where 80% of virtual worlds and real world would accept Bitcoin. Um, why would you hold something else? Why would you have something else? If I can travel somewhere else in the world or go online or go in a virtual environment and all of those worlds speak Bitcoin, then why would I hold something else, right? So I do think it, it is. And, and I do want to preface that with, with something else. I think there's this distinction between traditional finance and, and Bitcoin as if they're two completely separate worlds, which, which they are. And I want to highlight that uh, Bitcoin is not just better money. It is inherently better technology. From the technology sense, um, you know, let, let's just put an example here. Uh, the cheapest thing you can do nowadays in traditional finance with a credit card uh, is make an in-app purchase for like 60 cents on the dollar. And when that hits your account, it's around you know dollar ten because of fees and etc. Um, we're talking about payment processing fees. We're talking about platform fees. We're talking about app store fees. So all of this adds up, right? And and so you're trying to make a payment. So as a game developer, you say, great, I want to pay this gamer in France, you know, 10 cents. 
great. The bank comes back to you and says, great, is, your, is, your, uh, uh, is this gamer a criminal? Well, who are they? Where do they live? Right? And then, um, okay, great, it's going to cost you $3.50 in fees for you to send those 10 cents. Right? It is in, you know, the fact that traditional finance is so expensive to interact with um, in an application sense has made it inherently worse technology than what Bitcoin is. With Bitcoin, you can send millisatoshis, as I'm sure you know, um, but you can go as, you know, you, let's talk just broadly, you can go as low as one satoshi, right? And uh, that is one, I think it's 500th of a cent at this point. We're talking minuscule, and I can do that and it can settle immediately across the world without any conversion needed, without any permission needed. So I think it's really important to highlight that Bitcoin and Lightning, yes, they're better money, but they're just inherently better technology. You can remove the money aspect of it, and it is just better, you know, settlement layers and payment networks um, that are, you know, open and standardized and built to be interacted with any company, any app, any developer, any service provider. Right? You just you just plug it in. Um, so we really see Bitcoin as as the the winner take all future there. Right. And it does seem people are starting to plug in Bitcoin into games. I just had on uh, Jack Everett at Thunder Games last week, and he was talking about uh, what he's integrating there uh, and how Bitcoin plays a role. Um, can you speak to some of the interesting use cases um, people are using Zebedee for? And like, what are what are some people what are people using to um, or how are people integrating Bitcoin into their games today from your perspective? Definitely. Um, I'd like to touch on four points, if you don't mind. So sure. the first one, yeah, the first one I think is important is, um, you know, Viker Games. So Viker uh, is a partner uh, that is building games on, on the Zebedee platform. They are a hyper-casual uh, gaming studio. They build, you know, hyper-casual mobile games. So uh, imagine Angry Birds style games, right? So uh, uh, they have one called Balls King. They have one called uh, Wheel of Trivia, right? So those types of games where you can play for a long time. Um, you know, what they've seen is immediately, as soon as onboarding Zebedee, Zebedee services and platform into their games, uh, they immediately saw a massive improvement in, in cost per install, so CPIs, uh, as well as user retention, right? What are they doing? In hyper-casual games, usually you have what's known as the ad revenue model. They would put an ad and they would earn some on the user's, you know, uh, ad, ad viewership there. Um, so they haven't changed that model. What they're doing is a little bit of that ad revenue is now being sent back to users through Bitcoin rewards, right? Um, so now what, what happens is the game is not only fun, it's not only entertainment, it is, it is not only a pastime, it actually, all of that time that you're spending on it can actually have physical rewards that they're not guaranteed by any means, but you have the expectations of maybe getting a reward that is worth something. Now, I could give you 100 million gems inside of a game, and I guarantee you that the user would probably not necessarily come back, right? They would say, okay, great, I have some gems, awesome. But if you give them 100 sats, and they can actually take that out, and they can do something with it, anywhere in the real world they could they could store it they could keep it they could spend it on bit refill they could go down the street and buy it depending on where they are um, that keeps them coming back right so viker has seen a massive improvement on return on ad spend um, you know upward depending on the jurisdiction upwards of 40 to 80 percent um, and you know that sync usually in game studios and game developers a single digit improvement in return on ad spend can make can make it or break it right you can be a, a break-even game developer game studio or you can be a profitable game studio uh, a 40 to 80 percent improvement uh, is mind-boggling so um, they 
May, we, we onboarded Viker in August of 2021, uh, and in the end of August, and then third week of September, they had their first game live on the App Store. So we're talking about a three-week turnaround to implement something that is you know as trivial as, as Bitcoin rewards to gamers. Um, and the response has been so great that they went off, and now they have nine titles, I believe, and they're going to move most of their platform, most of their uh, titles to the Zebedee platform uh, this year. Um, so that's been very strong uh, uh, use case for us. Uh, which is the Bitcoin rewards use case. I think uh, going, touching a little bit more on the programmability of Bitcoin and Lightning, um, we actually have a, a proof of concept game called Zebedee Cart. Uh, it used to be called Bitcoin Rally for those that have been around for a long time. Um, and the idea there is we built something to showcase the developers what is possible with the technology, right? You can't just throw them a bone and say, hey, go and build something new with this. Uh, developers aren't aware what's even possible. So we built we built Zebedee Cart as a use case. Uh, what Zebedee Cart does is it changes the dynamics of the game itself. So if you're familiar with Mario Kart, uh, Mario Kart, you have little coins that you can pick up, right? And and those are worth points and they make you go faster a little bit and etc. But again, at the end of the game and at the end of the race, you just you walk out and, and that's the end of it, right? There's nothing more to show for it. Um, with uh, uh, Zebedee Kart, the coins are actual Satoshis. So but but whereas in Mario Kart you could throw you know one of those skull looking things and the opponent and they can slow down. In Zebedee Kart you throw your coin. So now you're you're at an impasse because do I keep my sats and then I get to the end of the race and then I cash it out or do I throw the the coin at my opponent to then get you know a better position in the lap? Um, so you have this incentive structure that's like oh okay interesting. Uh, we we actually even had participants in the many tournaments we've held who would actually not care about placing. They would just go around the track and pick up all the coins because they know they were going to lose, but at least they were going to get some funds out of it. Um, so that was you know another. Piece so you can actually introduce Bitcoin and Lightning to the fabric of your game, like the point, the actual coins in the game can be that. Um, building upon that, I think uh, Counter Strike, which is an integration we have um, with the, through the Infuse platform, is also very interesting because again we we are able to uh, create this technology that you know, for example, we have this mode called survival mode. So you come in and you have. 250 Satoshis and you come in, great, I'm part of the game, the server. And I start going around. And if you shoot me and you, you kill me as an opponent, um, the, the second I die, a, a, a Satoshi 3D asset coin starts spinning around on top of me. You have to now come and pick it up right, for you to get it. But let's say you were far away. So you were far away and you shot me from far. And so now I don't get the reward for actually beating my opponent. I have to go out of my safe position and walk into the middle of everything, into the mix, just to get the reward. So now, you know, you, you have folks using the coins as sort of like, you know, bait, because I shoot someone and I, there's a coin now, and now I'm gonna wait for someone to come in, right? So you, you again, you actually put Bitcoin into the fabric of the game. Um, and then last point that I wanted to make was uh, you can actually turn, uh, you know, the, the, there's this notion of the, the barrier between an audience member and the players of a game, right? So we're talking a little bit now on the streaming side. Um, if you if you think of, of audience members, they've always been passive. You're just watching. You're just looking and you're like, okay, great. Then they added chats, right? Okay, now you can chat with people on the, on the side. Then they added tipping. So now I can tip and then maybe my, maybe the streamer will see something and see that, you know, hey, Andre sent something. Um, with with Bitcoin, you can actually, because it's programmable money, you can actually attach events, triggers, hooks, 
into payments, right? So what we did with the Zebedee cart as well is we, in a streaming mode, you have a QR code on the screen. And anyone that actually pays that QR code, which I believe is 50 sats or whatever you decide it to be, uh, will pull up a gauge and that gauge, when it reaches the top, it throws what's known as a god mode, and it, it completely screws up everyone. So they, they become tiny characters, they go really slow, you know, the first place gets moved to third place, and it all skews up the game um, for, you know, 10 seconds, right? So you can imagine that the audience members that were passive and just sitting there and watching are now directly affecting the outcome of the race and of the game through tiny, extremely fast, instantaneous microtransactions, right? And, and you can do that, and you can send a message as well. So it's, it's very interesting when you plug in actual programmable money, uh, the same way that the internet has done with information where everything is data, we finally, with Lightning, we finally have money as data. So you can have money and information side by side in any of these interactions. So it's been very refreshing. We have a lot of games coming out this year. Uh, unfortunately, I'm unable to uh, discuss all of them at, at length at this stage, uh, but just be in the lookout for a lot more uh, you know, game studios that have been building on Zebedee that will be coming out in 2022 this is mind-blowing stuff how <laughs> how these incentives you can like actually cause you know real real world incentives and real world like financial gain or loss uh in a game um, think, think of yeah I, I think of an example where like the mix between you know the, the mix between movies and games nowadays you have movies that are built entirely on unreal engine 5 right um so this these scenarios are very interesting um, and I think what's what's cool is that um, with with games uh, you can do things where the audience member can be the decider of where the player is headed. So let's say they're doing a quest and they get to an impasse and you have to go left or right. Now the audience member can impact with economic incentives. Okay, you should go right, right? And then the biggest, you know, so then all of a sudden the player goes right and you can trigger these events in the game. Um, so that line between between the experience and the gamer and the movie gets, gets really blurred and it's very interesting. Yeah. Do you think this changes the way that gamers earn, like, it, it, in the aggregate, is this going to expand the number of gamers that can make a living from playing games? Is this going to build that gamer economy into something far larger than it is today? Yeah, absolutely. So what we've seen so far at Zebedee is that, um, and of course this has played a bigger role in emerging markets, um, mostly given the currencies that exist in those countries. Um, Zebedee, as, as it stands right now, has a large Brazilian user base, uh, and mostly because Brazil is a highly connected country when it comes to number of internet-capable users, uh, as well as it's just you know a, a slightly younger demographic. And so um, what we've seen with the Counter-Strike uh, uh, Infuse platform, for example, um, we host uh, weekly tournaments, we host monthly tournaments, and we have servers running every day, nonstop, right? Um, we have players that are going out of their way to play Counter-Strike, which is a game that have already played, they used to play all the time already, but now there's actually the incentive because they make a little bit of Satoshis. We have people earning on a normal week without ma major events, 200,000 Satoshis, right? We're talking about uh, a couple hundred dollars here or there. I'm, I'm not sure what the conversion rate there. Now, you go to a country like Brazil, where the currency is, is relatively weak compared to the dollar, and you times that by five, right? So you're talking about, uh, you know, 500 Brazilian reais, which is is not money that will make you 
quit your jobs and everything, but it is significant money. What we've seen is a lot of people have actually, and you can see this on Twitter, we have a hashtag, thank you Zebedee, where people are posting the things that they do with the sats they've earned in the many games that are powered by Zebedee. So we have people doing simple things like buying bid refill gift cards and buying products online, but we also have people buying groceries, paying rent on time, buying gifts for people because they haven't been able to, you know, serving X, Y, and Z. So it's really, uh, uh, you know, exciting and, and, and it, like I wake up thinking that great, I'm doing the best that I can to onboard people into Bitcoin in a friendly way, in a in a in a really good way. And then you get the added benefit of people putting out into the world like what you're building has enabled me to do this in the real world. That's very impactful for us as Ebony. Uh and we really like to see continue seeing that capability, right? Totally. That's a huge number too, to to have people who are earning over, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand sats um for playing games. Are, are these primarily sats earned from other players? It's a mix of two. So uh, the example that I've been mentioning, which is the Counter-Strike integra integration with, with uh, Infuse, um, what, what that player is, what, what we've built with Infuse is um, we allow for sponsors to come in and they sponsor the server itself. So they do that by, remember the coins that I talked about inside of CSGO, they have branded coins. Right, so Bitstamp is a is a constant sponsor for us. They really believe in the future of Bitcoin and gaming. They actually have an integration with Zebedee's uh, with our wallets. Right, you're able as a Bitstamp user, you're able to log in with your Zebedee, to your Zebedee wallet directly and move funds between the accounts. Um, so what they do is uh, we provide uh, some ads ad banner space inside of the maps. Right, we programmatically set those and then we create the branded coins for them. So in a way, um, the gamers are coming in. But in this case, the sponsor is saying, okay, you need 200 sats to get into the match. Let me pay that for you. And they interact with the brand in it, in a native environment, right? So it's not impactful. It's not intrusive. And then at the end, they everyone comes out winning, right? Because they get the sats. Um, we do have servers that aren't sponsored, and those are likely higher uh, stakes, right? People don't want to earn, people that are putting in 100 sats likely want to earn quite a bit more. So we have those 5,000 sats, 10,000 sats, 50,000 sats. Uh, and those players are likely higher caliber because they're willing to put funds on the table. Um, it's, it's interesting because we had a tournament uh, in during Bitcoin 2021 last year, uh, which where we had, I believe it was 1.5 Bitcoin uh, in rewards given out to players, um, where 0.5 of that was to CSGO and 0.5 of that was to the Zebedee cart. We had a single person win a Mario Kart-esque tournament and walk out with half of Bitcoin. Um, so it's very impactful. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what are some of the interesting applications you think that are not quite ready yet, maybe haven't been built, but that you can kind of see forming on the horizon uh, in terms of in terms of games or um, ways that gamers can earn money. Um, what are some of those interesting applications that you're excited about? What we'd love to to be able to do is remove the distinction uh, between the the medium at which you're making payments from and to, which usually a lot of the times is your phone, right? You're carrying your phone and you scan a QR code, you make the payment, et cetera, uh, and where the gaming experience is. So if you're on a console, right, a PlayStation, Xbox, and so on, um, you would need a native integration with Lightning for you to be able to make payments inside of those games, right? It's, it's rare that you would be able to pull out your phone. Uh, if you're in a VR environment, you simply can't pull out your phone because the VR environment is a different environment of your phone. So what we'd like to do is, is pursue uh, this this notion of like pairing with a game, 
right? So we're actually coming out on Zebit, we're coming out with, uh, if you've ever used our uh, integrations with the wallet, for example, you, you download the wallet, you start using the wallet on the phone, uh, we have an integration with Discord. To log in to that experience, you click a button on Discord and it shows you a QR code. So you scan that QR code with the wallet and you make that pairing happen. Um, we're working on providing this for games um, and game developers such that, you know, in a VR environment, right before you join the game, you can pair your wallet with the VR environment. And then once you put your headset on in that environment, now your wallet is plugged to the game and you can allow transactions to happen and you can receive rewards on the go. We actually have a prototype for Beat Saber, uh, which is, if you're familiar with the Beat Saber uh, uh, VR, uh, it's it's one of those, you have like two, two swords and you have to hit them on uh, sort of like Guitar Hero, if you're familiar with that. Um, and uh, it's a VR environment. And what we do is we actually have a prototype where every time you get it right, and, and you hit a block every time with a sword, you win one sat. And that sat gets immediately streamed to your wallet because it's paired with the game. So you don't need to scan a QR code, you don't need to wait until the end of the, the game or the, the race or the map for you to receive the rewards. You just have streaming payments because and, and lightning because we can do that and because it's paired with the game. right? I think that is one piece that will take everything to the next level, which is you come in similar to an arcade. You come in, you play, 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 at the end you take out your, your winnings. With streaming money, you come in and you earn the rewards as you play. You don't have to, you know, the same way that you have podcasting 2.0 where you can earn based on the listening, you can have the same streaming payment functionality in a gaming environment based on the rewards that you're winning from the game. So if I punch you in the game, I want to take one sat from you and I want to receive that immediately in my wallet, right? And then you punch me and you get that sat back. And with Lightning, you can do millions, billions of transactions of this kind uh, in a gaming environment. So we're very excited to to be able to pioneer that front. And we have some prototypes that we're likely to show in the next couple of months. That's really cool stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the Zebedee business and how you view the business evolving over time. Um, maybe it makes sense to split up the business into like two kind of buckets where you have like the gamers products and then you have the products for developers. How do you see those two evolving over time? Like, where do you think, what do you, what do you think the biggest revenue driver is for Zebedee over time? Is it building products for gamers or for developers? Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Definitely. It's, it's interesting because in the beginning of Zebedee, we were very, very focused on developers solely. We, we were, you know, in our view, it's we need to build infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. So we built the the first versions of the APIs, the developer dashboards, the SDKs, and so forth. Um, but the the big differential there is we realized people need an easy way to enter this world, right? And at the time, uh, of course, now there's very robust wallets that exist in the in the in the environment in, in the ecosystem. But um, at the time, we we didn't feel comfortable recommending anything and sort of partnering with a wallet. So we said, okay, let's create something that's simple. It is not meant to be your you know, cold storage wallet is not meant to be your sovereign wallet. It, it, it is not that. We are not building that solution. If we were, we would be failing miserably. Um, we are building solutions to onboard 3 billion gamers into the world, and, and they need familiar experiences, right? So they need to be able to click a button and log in with Google, right? Uh, they need to be able to, to see that experience that they're already, already used to. In, in this new world. So uh, we started building consumer facing products for the gamers and that has evolved, right? We have extensions on Discord, Telegram, Steam. Uh, we have browser extensions for Chrome, Firefox and Microsoft Edge. Um, but I, I think it's important to highlight that we, while we are a gaming fintech and we provide solutions to both, um, it, it's really that, you know, you 
the gamers won't come unless there are games and the game developers won't build unless there are gamers. So it's that really big chicken and egg problem, right? Which, which is like, which, which one comes first? Uh, we're attacking both sides simultaneously. Um, the team is growing and the platform's growing, so we're able to, to go after both uh, customer segments. Um, when, it, when it comes to the business side, um, Zebedee has a very you know, straightforward uh, you know, transaction fee revenue model. Um, we're taking 1% of all transactions that occur uh, outside of the Zebedee ecosystem. So if you're sending from one Zebedee user to another Zebedee user, that is free as it is with Venmo, Cash App, or anything of that kind. There's no need to, to monetize that. Uh, but if you're making transactions out of the Zebedee ecosystem into another wallet, into another provider, into another store, into another service in the wider Bitcoin and Lightning Network ecosystem, uh, we incur a small 1% fee on, on that transaction, right? Um, what we've seen is that uh, that capability paired with the ability to give game developers similar capabilities around taking a revenue of the transactions they allow to occur in their gaming environments um, allows us to thrive quite well on, on a projected business model. Um, right now, I would say the big, uh, if you were to say the, the biggest revenue share is likely to come from game developers because they're moving large amounts of money. If you have a game that has 500,000 monthly active users, your your game is, is interacting with gamers and is powering it with quite a bit of, of funds, whereas a gamer would maybe make, you know, a couple hundred small transactions on a monthly basis, right? So it's it's slightly harder to monetize that. Um, but what we what we what we see is that um, there will be lots of features that we're building right now in 2022 that are very geared for the gamer experience um, that aren't necessarily just about how do we grow the business from the business model side. It's how do we make Zebedee's ecosystem the best ecosystem for gamers in this new e economy to, to be in. Um, and so, uh, there's, again, there's a lot that I can't yet talk about, but it will be coming soon. Um, but the wallet is getting revamped with lots of new features, right? The extensions are getting revamped. Um, and simultaneously, the developer dashboards and the APIs are getting quite a bit of, of a lift up and, and new features. Um, so. It's definitely a chicken and egg between you know which one comes first and comes next. Um, with the current pipeline of game developers, I'd like to say that we'll have uh, you know plenty of games in 2022 built and ready, and the gamers will come in mass, uh, and we'll likely see a, a big improvement in, in Bitcoin and Lightning adoption because of the gaming aspect of it. Right. So I want to make sure I understand the developer side correctly. If I'm a game developer, um, mm -hmm. I can implement your SDK, and I can um, I can take a small fee for my game from from any transactions incurring in the game and so can Zebedee is that is that yeah right? so Zebedee would Zebedee would take a cut uh, the the flat 1% cut and you as the game developer get to decide what you would like to so just as as any store if you set your price for a, a good really high your consumers will stop coming because it's overly expensive so it, you now create this like economic incentive where f fees are inherently a race to the bottom right uh, you can you can't really battle that that piece so as a game developer if you're setting a 50% fee on a transaction gamers will stop coming uh, if you set a 30% fee you're actually funnily enough you're matching app stores levels which is 30% but if you set it to 1% gamers will see okay that's fine you know you, you're earning some, I'm earning some, every, like this is an economic interaction. Um, so you as the game developer are able to monetize directly on the revenue share by using Zebedee's technology. Yeah. Where do you think this fee heads over time, right? You mentioned like Apple charges 30% right now. Um, and that's kind of been, it, b before Bitcoin came along, if you look at a lot of these kind of like web two platforms, take rates across them tend to be in that range. 
Like I think right. YouTube is taking like forty five percent of every of every wow. ad dollar. Um, you know, Airbnb is taking I don't know ten to fifteen twenty percent of every of every uh, listing. Um, mm-hmm. Apple's thirty percent. Do you think that across the board, Bitcoin enables this number to just dramatically drop, like by a factor of ten? Is that is that something that is reasonable? I think Bitcoin finally provides another option. Uh, right. I think you can't do uh, you, you these walled gardens and these these gatekeepers have always been there. And there's, there's been no alternative. And why is that? Because uh, the alternative would be just another platform. And maybe then the other platform is giving slightly discounted rates or a slightly less uh, fee revenue here and there. Um, but it would not it's not competitive enough for the the competitors to drive the fee that low, right? Google Play is not going to drop 20% fee so that Apple is forced to do that because that's a large money maker for them. Um, I think, you know, again, inherently it's a fee to the bottom. Uh, it's, it's a race to the bottom for fees. But um, because the incumbents will likely, the large incumbents will likely be the last ones to migrate over to new technology. It's, it always is, right? Uh, just, just a, a side tangent here. Uh, Fortnite has V Bucks, and they make two billion dollars a year. I believe 2019, they made two billion dollars in revenue just from the sale and interactions with V Bucks. V Bucks, you you buy V Bucks, but you can't take them out back to your dollars, right? It, it's always in, um, and so. Y- Fortnite has no incentive of introducing Bitcoin and Lightning right now, right? Um, but if 60% of the rest of the market is now doing Bitcoin, they will slightly be forced to do so. So I think what you're likely to see is more and more disputes with gatekeepers and walled garden app stores. Uh, you've seen things with Epic Games. You've seen the battle, uh, Epic Games and Apple. You've seen the battle with Spotify and Apple. I think those will continue to occur uh, and will continue to drive down you know, that, that revenue. The second that the app stores allow for alternative payment methods, um, they have lost the plot. They have lost the ability to charge 30%. Um, I think that is not actually too far off. I think it's optimistic to think that it's not too far off, but I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Uh, we think that the competition has grown and the fact that there's now an alternative that doesn't require anyone's acceptance or, or permission uh, makes the, the game dynamics quite a bit different, right, when it comes to charging 30%. Uh, if Bitcoin is charging 1%, that is a massive change. You're talking about a 29% margin that used to go to somewhere else. Um, so I think that the game dynamics will change, the incentive structure will change, but the incumbents are likely always the last ones to you know, innovate and, and, and adopt the technology. What's likely to happen is mid-sized platforms, mid-sized uh, uh, you know, uh, game platforms and publishing platforms will likely want to innovate and differentiate themselves and will be the first ones to adopt these t- sorts of things. So itch.io, for example, has hundreds of has millions of users it is definitely no steam it is definitely no epic game store um, but it is it is uh, one that is very prone to accepting something like bitcoin and lightning as payment methods because it differentiates themselves and it cre- allows for innovation and it's so forth um, so to your to your question yes i'd love to say that it'll bring fees down from 30 to to single digits um, but it may be a little while longer before apple and google and the big incumbents you know are able to to migrate over Right, and this ties back into your chicken and egg point, where you got to get you got to get developers building things, and you got to get exactly. gamers playing. Um, do you get the sense that right now, those two sides of the equation are balanced, or do you do you get the sense that right now there are too many gamers and not enough developers, or or too many developers but not enough gamers? What's the too, state of it right now? Um, 
way more demand for games uh, than gamers. So there's plenty of gamers ready and waiting and willing um, who play. They, we have gamers that play all of the, the Zebedee and Bitcoin powered games, in, including Thunder Games from Jack Havard, who you interviewed recently, um, every single day, many, many hours a day. And they keep consistently reaching out to support and saying, hey, how can I play other games? Like, what other games? Just give me more games. Give me more games. And the games are coming. The difference is an app, usually an app, you can build something like what's known as an MVP, right? A minimal viable product in an app in, you know, two, three months and you can push something out and iterate on it. With a game, you can't really build the, 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 the first few parts of the game. You have to build the full game experience and that takes much longer. You don't build an, a, a full-fledged game in three months, you build that in 12 months. Um, so it does take a little while for games to be released and so forth, uh, but there's definitely a lots, lots of gamers and that's what we've seen and we are able to show to business uh, you know, development partners and, and potential game studios that are partnering with us, um, like this is the demand for it. Here, here's a new, market and audience that is untapped and completely different audience from what you currently tap into uh, and they're ready and willing and eager to play um, so uh, I think the name the number of gamers will just continue to blow up and the game developers will see that as a big driver uh, you know couple that with the improvements in, in return on ad spent and in, in, in cost per install in cost for user acquisition in user retention and it's a no-brainer for any game studio to just say yes why would I not adopt this technology and it's entirely up to them if they power the entirety of their game economy with Bitcoin or all, all they're doing is like here's a little bit of a reward right it, it, it's up to them um, they can do it in, in whatever way shape or fashion they want and I guess it's a similar uh, dynamic as you know, early Bitcoin buyers where the rewards will accrue to the ones who kind of step in first and kind of like make that first move to integrate Bitcoin and kind of like build a community around Bitcoin reward. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Thunder Games is a great example of that, right? They, uh, they've, they've now released, I think, three or four games and they have a community of, of, you know, followers and it's great. And, and they all love, they have the one sat gang that I think is, is hilarious too. So, yeah. um, yeah, all the Zebedee games are seeing a lot of, a lot of, uh, of the similar, uh, interactions. Awesome. Okay. Now I want to kind of shift the conversation to the technical side of things. Um, sure. cause I know you're doing a lot of cool work on lightning addresses. Um, I want to talk about LNURL, um, I want to talk about bolts and bolt 12. We can, we can get into all of this, but maybe the, maybe the first place to start off is give people an, an understanding of what LN URL is. Sure. Where did it come from and, and how is it being used today? So I think it's important to highlight two points. Uh, I think there's been a lot of discussion of LN URL as if it's one single thing. Um, LN URL is actually a set of standards. Um, and you may be familiar with a few of them. You may have used them without even knowing that you are using them. So um, the first one that I think was uh, pretty sizable was LNURL channel. So in the big early days of, of Lightning, you needed to get someone else to open a channel with you, right, to you for liquidity purposes. So you would, they, there was a, a, a protocol created by Anton, um, who is the developer of Simple Bitcoin Wallet, um, as well as the folks at, at BitRefill with, with the, the Thor, uh, I guess it's called Turbo Channels, I guess. Um, and they created this LNURL channel, which was basically an HTTP standard that allowed two partners to talk to each other and open a channel to each other. Basically, here's, I'm paying you to open a channel to me, great. Um, this was probably the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the second one that came up uh, was LNURL withdraw. So if you've ever scanned the QR code, 
and received Bitcoin, right? So you scan a QR code and receive Bitcoin. That was you. That that was using LNURL withdraw, right? That is not possible in Lightning right now. You can't scan a QR code and receive payments right now at the moment. Uh, that has to be LNURL withdraw. Most people don't really know because it's a QR code. It looks like every other one, and all of the wallets support it. So you you point the the camera to the, the QR code and it handles it, everything for you. But really, what that's doing is is a handshake between your wallet and the ser and the server, and then they're saying, okay, give me an invoice, and then it's being paid on the background. Um, so that's the second one. The third one was LNURL auth for authentication, which specifically that one doesn't need to be tied to Lightning, um, but it is it was sort of built upon the LNURL scheme as well, uh, and this is used for for you to basically log into services using a public-private key uh, pair. Um, and in this case with Lightning, people are using their wallets, public-private key pairs, to log in. So you can you, you have services like LN Markets, you have services like, uh, um, uh, what was it, Collider, uh, which are allowing you to do this, you know, log in with, with a, a public-private key pair. That is also LNURL specification. And then the most recent uh, addition, which has already been added for a long time now, but uh, given the recent developments of Lightning Address, uh, which builds on top of this, is the LNURL Pay. So the LNURL Pay is essentially a more robust payment QR code, um, and, and it has some certain capabilities. So LNURL came out of the need for better user interactions between wallet users and service providers, okay? And a service provider in this case is a store, a website, a game, uh, a like something that has a presence online um, but needs better experience. So let's go through a flow here. If I'm trying, if as a service provider or as a game or as a, as a, as a company, I'm trying to pay you as a user over Lightning, the only way to do that is if you give me an invoice. Right. You have to. So so now I, the, the user experience right now without LNURL is, hey, Kevin, please create an invoice, but don't create just any invoice. Create an invoice for exactly 555 Satoshis. Copy that invoice. Make sure it does not expire and then send it over to me. And then we will you know, verify that that's the right amount. And then we're going to go ahead and pay you that. That's a horrible experience for someone that's just joining, right? Imagine that's the experience for someone earning from a game or earning from an app. Um, so it came out of that, really. LNURL is a Lightning Network URL specification. It bridges the Lightning, the orchestration of invoices from two parties on the HTTP layer. Um, and there's a lot of, of you know, controversy around using HTTP, which, which uh, is, is interesting because the entire web uses it right restful apis are everywhere it's it's literally the the most standardized standard ever http um and if we want bitcoin to be the money of the internet right it's magic internet money it needs to in some way shape or form plug into the internet like it, it, it has to right it has to be simple easy straightforward um, if we have these two separate worlds of of bitcoin lightning and then the internet and there's no easy way to merge or pass information between them um, it, it makes for development quite complicated right so what lnurl is, is it's simply something that has been built uh, with multiple participants this is not something that a single person or a single company has created uh, there's plenty of people in in telegram discussing this on a daily basis uh, and what it is it's it facilitates interactions between two parties specifically a user and a company or a user and a website a user and a game a user and a service provider right so that's the 
birthplace of, of, of LNURL and why it came about. Uh, and and it basically just orchestration of invoices back and forth between between these, these two parties. And am I right to think that this then lives off of the Lightning Network protocol, right? It's not integrated into the protocol? Correct. Yeah, this is very much, a, a, you know, people like to say the layered approach, right? Layer one is Bitcoin, you have layer two, it's Lightning. It's, it's definitely above Lightning. It, it uses the Lightning invoices, right? So let me, let me try and explain. When LNURL, what LNURL is doing is it, it, it's basically saying, give me an invoice and then passing it to the other side. The payment is still done on the Lightning side, right? The payment is done on Lightning Network, everything is the same. It's just the orchestration of the invoice being sent between two parties. Um, so it's definitely on top of Lightning is one way to, to visualize it. Makes sense. Okay, so now that we have a, a good understanding of how LNURL came to be, yeah. talk to me about Lightning addresses and how, sure. how they tie into LNURL and what they enable. Definitely. So. Okay, a lot to unpack here. So I just want to give a little pretext. So the user experience right now for a user using a Bolt 11, which is the normal Lightning invoice, right? You make a Lightning invoice, it's it's, it's the Bolt 11 invoice. Um, uh, there's two parts of it that are essential to the network, but uh, create for pretty limited user experience. Uh, the first one is that they're single use, right? So you're supposed to use an invoice and not use it again. Um, technically, technically, there have been some advancements to disallow that piece, but let's just assume that for now, you, as, as it stands right now, you pay a Lightning invoice, it, it is done, it's single use. Um, second, it's the expiration time. Again, it's on purpose, it's needed for the network because otherwise you have funds locked up in, in routes, uh, but invoices and HLCs need to expire, right? They need to expire at a certain time. Um, this creates for great user experience if you're making a single payment experience. So let's say I add a bunch of stuff to my e-commerce cart, I click a button, and then it shows me QR code, I pay it, that's the end, right? And that's fine. That experience is not uh, optimal for users that are making multiple payments in the same time, or multiple people are making the same payment at the same time. So an example, if I'm a famous streamer or you know an online person and I want to receive tips, donations, or whatever, I cannot put a lightning invoice on my stream because what the experience will be is out of 10,000 people, 9,999 that attempt to pay that will fail and one person will succeed, right? That's a horrible experience. So what came out of that was LNURL pay which again is just meant to be a payment interaction, but it gives you more capabilities. So it gives you things like you can set minimum and maximum amounts. So you don't have to say, I want 555 Satoshis. You can say, I want between 10,000 and 100,000. You can send me anything, right? This QR code will allow you to send me anything. Um, you can actually send messages across with it. So comments or messages um, that, that get received on the other end. Um, and there's additional metadata here and there. But basically what that LNURL pay QR code enables is a static QR code, a QR code that can be reused and reused and reused for different payment amounts from different people at any point. So you can put that on the stream and that will be fine, right? And you can, people can, the 10,000 people can actually make the payments. Um, now that is great. QR codes are great. They're ephemeral. They're the same. Every wallet can handle QR codes. It's, it's easy to understand. You know that you have to point the camera to it and, and do it. Um, but we go back to the point where we're trying to onboard 3 billion people, 3 billion gamers into this world. Um, and specifically when it comes to, to Bitcoin and Lightning, we're not even talking about gamers only, we're talking about the entire world. We want to onboard the entire world into Bitcoin and Lightning. Um, 
usually users need a 10 to 100x improvement on the user experience or the features or the capabilities of such technology in order to change behavior, right? So right now, if I go to Starbucks and I take my Apple Watch, I will order and I will simply tap my Apple Watch and I have paid for my coffee, right? Um, even though there are advancements in NFC for Lightning, you simply cannot compete with that experience of tapping your watch because what's the experience right now? Let's say the person shows me a QR code. I pick up my phone, I unlock it, I open the, wa the wallet, I wait for it to load, I swipe to the camera, I scan it, I confirm, I wait two, three seconds for the payment to clear, voila, I paid for it, right? The experience is not yet better in a real world environment. Um, so how can we improve it further? Let's maintain the capabilities of the LNURL pay, which is multiple payments, static pay QR code, uh, ability to send multiple amounts, send messages, and etc. But let's make that easier. So instead of you having to know or print or give someone your QR code, let's let's map that QR code into something that's readable, that's user understood, right? And the easiest way to do that is, again, LNURL is already on the HTTP layer. It's already on the web RESTful API layers, right? So what we did is we map, we created the Lightning address, which is effectively a map between a LNURL pay to an internet identifier. So an internet identifier is the most famous one that you've seen is an email address, which is, you know, kevin at kevin.com, right? It's user at domain. Um, and, you know, there are, you can have complaints about the fact that DNS is a centralized solution. You can have complaints about how the web and internet service providers are centralized solutions. That, you know, I, I agree with those statements and arguments. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't attempt and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't build better experiences. Um, DNS is used all over the world. If there was a better alternative, we, I'm more than willing to support it and interact with it, but there really isn't yet. Um, there's there's Tor and Onion routing. There's uh, you know some additional capabilities on on some other standards, but uh, as it stands, what it does is you can have Kevin at Kevin.com be your payment identifier, right? So you have a Lightning address which is Kevin at Kevin.com. You own the Kevin domain. You have the Kevin user, and so Andre, now I I need to pay you. Right, so we go back to that question. I'm, let's say, I'm a service provider, or I'm a gamer, or I'm a user, or I'm another person. I'm trying to pay Kevin. How do I pay Kevin? I need to either, you know, find you on a platform and then ask for an invoice from you, or I need to find a static QR code that you have somewhere, or I need to ask you for a Bitcoin address. Right, like it's always an, a. a, a uh, what's it called, interaction, right, between the two parties. I don't have, uh, and with emails, I don't need to ask you anything. I can just find your email and I just send you a message. If you choose to ignore it, that's your choice. So Lightning addresses solve that discoverability piece. I no longer need to ask you for something. I get to say, hey, I'm going to send a payment to Kevin at Kevin.com. Right, so that's what Lightning Address does in the discoverability piece. Uh, but specifically, uh, now I want to just touch on the Zebedee side. Why is it interesting for us? We consume open networks. Zebedee uses the open network of Bitcoin, the permissionless network of Lightning, right? We use those networks. Um, it would be a shame for us to use the networks and, and build upon it, but then create entirely centralized solutions on top of it, right? So an example, we have every Zebedee user has a Zebedee gamer tag. So Zebedee gamers can send from one gamer tag to the other just fine, just as you can with a Venmo user to another Venmo user. Um, but between a Venmo user to a Cash App user, you can't send funds, 
right? You simply can't do that. Both of them speak dollars. Both of them speak the U.S. dollar, but you can't send funds to each other. So what what happens is you don't have interoperability between service providers. So you you they speak the same language, but they don't talk to each other. Um, with Lightning Address, be, again, Lightning Address and LNURL are simply HTTP standards. Anyone can adopt them, right? So. Lightning Address brings interoperability between service providers. So whereas right now, uh, for an, an example, Coin Corner. Coin Corner is a UK-based exchange, right? Um, they have Lightning Addresses enabled. For someone at the Zebedee platform to send a payment to someone at Coin Corner, you would, again, hey, Joe, can you please give me an invoice so that I can pay you, right? That would be the, the user flow. Now I don't need to do that. Now I can go into the Zebedee wallet, I can click a few buttons, and I can type you know, Joe at coincorner.io, and I can make the payment. That was impossible before Lightning Address because the two service providers were not inter interoperable. We build systems differently. We have different solutions, right? The only interoperable piece was the Lightning Network side. Now, on the HTTP layer with Lightning Address, we're interoperable. So Lightning Address solves discoverability issues, and it solves interoperability issues for providers. Um, any provider that supports Lightning Address can now send to any provider that supports Lightning Address. So imagine a scenario where you had Kevin at Venmo.com and Kevin at CashApp.com. Now you can send between the two of them, right? Uh, that's a very, very powerful thing. Uh, and, and we're just seeing this being adopted by just about every platform, every you know piece of, of, of software in, in the industry. Uh, after the release in, in August of 2021, I believe it was by October, 80% of all the wallets had some support for receiving or for sending or you know were engaging in that capability. Now I would say it's more like 90, 95%. There's a handful of wallets that don't yet support some, some of it. Um, but I imagine they will in the future. So that's what Lightning Address is. It's building very simple, familiar user interface that the next four, five, six billion users can see and say, you know, a, someone who's used to sending emails can now interact with Bitcoin. Do you know what I mean? That's like how simple it is. Now, if they want to go down the rabbit hole, great. That was just their their introduction to it. Now they can go down the rabbit hole and, you know, perform the, the learnings and learn about this and learn about cold storage, learn about lightning channels and so forth. But we need to bring them in and the first experience for them can't be a 24-word seed phrase because they will close the app and go away. Something that looks like an email is very, very friendly for them. That was yeah. a very long way of answering the question, I think. <laughs> no, that's that's really good stuff. And I, I definitely can, can see that every app that I've, well, not every app, but a lot of the apps that I've talked to have already implemented Lightning addresses. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to be uh, dominating the conversation on Lightning right now. Like, that's just a lot of enthusiasm about it. Do you have any either metrics or insights or this could be either from the Zebedee side or from, from people who are, are using Lightning addresses outside of Zebedee. Um, do you have a sense for like how much uh, usage Lightning addresses are getting today versus QR codes? Like as a percentage yeah. or something? I, I don't know that there would be such a metric. I, I understand the question, and I would love to have data to, to point to that. Um, it, it's really tough to, to gather that information. What I would say is um, a lot of newcomers to the Zebedee gaming ecosystem um, are now, their first introduction to Bitcoin and Lightning has been through a Lightning address already. And I think that person, uh, you know, they are much more willing to bring others in 
because it's an easy experience. Um, so I guess, I guess in the Zebedee side, we've seen users that uh, have quote unquote migrated over to the Lightning address way of sending and receiving because it's very easy and it's simple and so forth. Uh, I can't say that QR codes have been displaced and everyone's using Lightning address though. I think the, the current scenario is it's improving uh, and folks are adopting it. Uh, it is still, however, nascent and early days to say that it is the way to make transactions. Um, what I'm very excited for, and maybe this is a good tangent into this, is uh, the new things that folks are doing with the Lightning address. So, um, you know, as a builder, it's very interesting as a technologist builder, it's very interesting when you build something and you architect it and you make it it's like a little square, right? And it's perfect and it does X, Y, and Z things. And then you put it out into the world and you release it and someone grabs that square and throws it across the room. And then you think just, no, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do with this. And they say, I don't care, it works and I want to do it and it's, and it, it's perfect. Um, so what we've seen is per people have taken that lightning address and like gone so far on stuff that we haven't even thought of. So let me talk about some examples. One is, Sure. Um, and I hope I'm not, you know, saying anything that I can't say. But um, we have uh, exchange. We, so there, there are exchanges which are publicly talking about this. So it's fine to discuss it. So Bitnob is introducing support for Lightning Address, and will be releasing very soon. They're a, a Nigerian-based exchange. They took it even further, where uh, you know their users all have Lightning addresses. That's fine. Um, but what they did is the same way that you can have your email address be kevin at kevin.com, but you can host that email address on Google infrastructure, right? So you're using Gmail, you're using Google Calendar, you're using Google Drive, um, but you're not using at gmail.com, you're using at kevin.com. Uh, Bitnob is providing that same capability with users' domain. So you don't have to have kevin at bitnob.com be your lightning address. You can have kevin at kevin.com be your lightning address powered by Bitnob. Right? So now you have a Lightning Address infrastructure provider, um, which is, wow, hadn't thought of that, great. Um, there are other parties that are doing uh, instant FX on the Lightning Address. So an example, you would have Kevin at Kevin.com as your main Lightning Address. But if, you, if I send you payments to Kevin, you know, USD at Kevin.com, as your service provider, in, in this case an exchange or whoever is backing that up, sees that payment and immediately converts that into USD and sends it to your USD account, right? So now wow. we're using Lightning as the rails, the, the Lightning and Lightning address as simply the rails for the transaction. Um, and it's fully interoperable with just about any other provider. Um, but if you append, you know, USD, you can do that. Um, we have uh, folks that in, in Ukraine uh, have taken the Lightning address and created uh, this way. So if you, if you have Kevin at Kevin.com, that's your Lightning address. But if you have Kevin, you know, 917-333-3345, and it's your phone number at Kevin.com, once you do that and you make a payment to it, the provider is automatically taking that and depositing it as credit on your phone number, right? So you can, you can see how this becomes highly, highly programmable um, where you can have Lightning addresses automatically doing things on behalf of the user based on the payments that are being received, right? So that's very, very interesting. Uh, and it's something that, you know, Zebedee is just like, whoa, 
hold on a second. You, like, I just put this out in August and you guys already took it so much farther than us. Um, we have other providers that are creating anonymous addresses. So instead of having Kevin at Kevin.com, you can have, you know, 1257 at blah, blah, blah.com. So you can use it for purposes of, you know, you don't want to dox yourself. You don't want to say who you are. You can now have a secondary email address, right? So you can now have a lightning address that's secondary. Um, so it's, it's very exciting what's happening. There's a lot coming through. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's always interesting when someone takes something you build and and just blows it out of proportion. Yeah, you got the the idea wheel spinning in my head right now. Um, one other idea is because it's a because it's an email address basically, like Kevin at Kevin.com, Why is there no email client built, or or is someone working on this where you know I can I can read all my emails through. And emails can be sent to Kevin at Kevin.com. And maybe I can put in a, a spam filter and say, hey, you got to send 10 sats if you want to reach my inbox. Kevin, um, ne next time you're reading from my brain and from our product roadmap, let me know so that we can be aware that we're going to go through this. Um, but that is, that is an 100%. You know, you can build the, the like the hash cache, right? The one way of doing hash cache is like, hey, uh, you send an, an email to a lightning address and it's like, hey, this is a lightning address. Pay 10 sats to get it forwarded. And then you forward it and voila, right? Now you create a spam filter based on sats. Um, yes, that is very much a possibility and, and something we're exploring, yeah. Amazing. I'm, I'm so excited to be using that. That I, I'm just, I'm thrilled. <laughs> um, okay, oh, I know we have, uh, we're running out of time, but I, I wanna get to uh, the discussion about Bolt 12. Because I, I hear a lot about on Twitter, LNURL and Bolt 12, they get, they get put together in the same conversation. We had a chat and he said, it's not really like a one-to-one -one apples compare apples to apples comparison. So maybe can you help me understand what is different about Bolt 12? And maybe even if we want to start, what are Bolts to begin with? Yeah, so um, that's a great start. I think uh, Bolt stands for Basis of Lightning Technology, right? So when uh, the implementers of, of the many Lightning implementations came together to find the, the spec and the process, they decided that we're going to follow these 11 Bolts. It's sort of like these 11 rules. Uh, and if your implementation supports those rules and does everything those rules say that you have to do, you are now in an interoperable, compatible Lightning Network implement, implementation. Um, the story is that every single piece of information in the bolts has been implemented in at least two implementations. Okay. Um, at this point, I want, you know, all 11 bolts have been implemented by all implementations. Um, but anything that, that is to be a bolt has to be implemented in at least two implementations. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what basically what a bolt is. And, um, as much as people know that lightning moves fast, uh, the bolts don't change that fast or that often. Um, lightning was built in a, uh, future feature option, like feature optionality way. So you have these things called feature bits, um, and your node can say, Hey, I support feature bit seven, 12, 27, 45, right? And then other nodes will know what features your node supports. So this is the, the path to, you know, feature optionality in the future. Um, but what, what happened is very recently, and maybe this is worth touching on, is the notion of a blip, right? So in, in, in Bitcoin, you have what's known as a BIP, uh, Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. Uh, and that's basically how you go about introducing changes to the Bitcoin 
software. Uh, you go through a BIP and there's discussions, there's back and forth, you have to change it, refactor, improve, and so on. Uh, eventually, there's a code implementation, there's a PR that's raised against Bitcoin Core, lots of tests, and then it gets merged, right? That, that would be a very simplified way of viewing the process. Um, with Lightning, there hasn't been a way to do that because, an example, LNURL uh, is not a bolt, and it shouldn't be. Uh, it is not core Lightning piece of, of infrastructure. Um, but it, it is also, you know, w what is it? It's just a set of standards that exist. So we have the LNURL RFC, which is just a repository with all of the LNURL standards. Um, now, there are other Lightning things or implementations or, or things that have been created that aren't part of Bolt um, and that deserve a place to implement, to discuss for folks that are doing similar things to talk about their implementations, right? So an example is Keysend. Keysend in LND was implemented um, and then C-Lightning added support for it, but there wasn't a true specification that said like this is true Keysend. Technically there was one in the Lightning network, in the LND side of things, but it wasn't a bolt, right? It wasn't a, a blip, right, or a bip. So um, another one would be the po podcasting 2.0. There's plenty of platforms and they may do it slightly different, right? You can talk about trampoline routing. You can talk about uh, hosted channels, right? These are all things that some implementations and some teams are interacting with and experimenting with, uh, but you know, there's no place to put them, right? How, where, where do you place this? So that's where Blips came in, and Blips is Bitcoin Lightning Improvement Proposals. Um, and it is different from a BIP. In the, in the sense that it is not something that, you know, if a blip gets enough adoption, it will be made part of a bolt. It is not necessarily that way. Uh, to be very honest, there isn't a clear path uh, from something that's a blip to become a bolt. Um, I imagine once it gets enough traction and it's implemented in multiple implementations, I guess there's a discussion to be had whether it becomes a bolt. Um, but that's the distinction between a bolt and a blip, right? Right now, there hasn't been any other bolts other than the first 11 that were created in the beginning. There have been certain changes, certain refactors, certain improvements. Um, with the recent blips release, I think there will be more discussions around blips and implementations will be built. And you know, maybe in a world where LNURL was to be conceived right now, today, it most likely would have been a blip, right? I would say that. Um, a, a question that I have is if Bolt 12 were to be conceived today, would it actually have been Bolt 12 or would it have been a blip? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. What is the distinction between the two? Um, when it comes to, so that's a little bit on bolts and blips. Um, and so I'm excited to see what, what comes out of the blips discussions. Um, when it comes to Bolt 12 and LNURL, which is the general discussion around, um, you know, Twitter and, and general, uh, you know, Bitcoin Twitter, if you will. Um, you're comparing apples and oranges in the sense that you're saying LNURL is is equal to Bolt 12 um, in, in its feature set, and it's not. So as I explained in the beginning, LNURL is a set of standards, and it does so much more than Bolt 12 because it is not just one thing. It is multiple standards, right? We have the authentication standard. We have the channel standard. We have the withdrawal standard. We have the pay standard. Um, Bolt 12 is on the Bitcoin Lightning layer. LNURL is on the HTTP layer. Um, where I think conversation gets uh, you know, mixed is folks aren't aware of the technicalities between the, the two implementations and so you just bundle them together and say LNURL versus Bolt 12. They serve different purposes even though they may do similar things. What is the, what is the uh, you know, I, my belief is that LNURL use and you know, over the past two years 
has helped indicate where Bolt 12 should be or, or will be headed to. So an example, offers, which is the Bolt 12 specification, allows for the creation of a QR code, and that QR code can be used to pay someone or it can be used to receive funds from someone, right? Um, you could say that that's a, competitor, a, com a comparative uh, feature to what LNURL pay and LNURL withdraw do, right? You could make that comparison. Um, I think there are certain things that, you know, sort of beg questioning. Um, I think there's that notion of a slippery slope. Um, so let's say, you know, great, we bring Bolt 12 into fruition um, and it is implemented in all the implementations and it's supported. Uh, great. So now each and every service provider, each and every wallet, each and every user needs to now adopt Bolt 12, right? So it's not something that you turn on and suddenly it, it happens. Um, so there's a distinction there. Uh, I think uh, in it is much easier and faster to iterate and implement something like LNURL because it is on top of Lightning, whereas Bolt 12 has a lot more challenges to being integrated and implemented. I think there's a lot of nuances around the implementations themselves. LND is by far the most used implementation in the network, uh, and they don't actually seem to want to or have plans to support Bolt 12, um, even though you have C Lightning, Eclair, and Rust Lightning who, are, who have said they will be supporting it. Um, so now let's assume that maybe 10% of the network supports Bolt 12. Great, if you show me a Bolt 12 QR code, my wallet that's running LND doesn't understand it yet, right? So you now have fragmentation and that's confusing for users. Um, I think there's, the, coming back to the slippery slope piece, um, you know, uh, one of the key points that is dependent on Bolt 12 is the notion of onion messages. So in Lightning, when you try to make a payment, there's this onion, right? And, and the, the HTLC and it sort of every hop, you unwrap that onion. That's one way to think about it. Um, and, and there's always a fee that, are, that is incurred, right? When you make a payment, there's a routing fee incurred. So there's a, the incentive is there for nodes to become routing nodes because they will incur a fee by routing that payment. Um, Onion messages, on the other hand, are anonymous and encrypted, right? So they're the same sort of blob that's passed around, but they're not a payment and they don't incur a fee, okay? So now you're talking about sending arbitrary data across the Lightning Network as Onion messages, right? It, theoretically, sure, it sounds interesting. I'm sure that it will open up to a lot of experimentation and capabilities, which means nodes can create additional capabilities between each other, right? You can, you can basically talk from one node to each other with arbitrary data. Um, this is a slippery slope though, because, okay, let's do Bolt 12, sure. Now someone comes up with another thing that uses onion messages, and now you have to send a bunch more onion messages through your node. And now your bandwidth for your node is seeing not 100 uh, uh, onion messages, you're seeing 100,000 being sent through your node, right? So your bandwidth, your network connectivity, uh, your hard drive space, all of that is being increased as a node runner in the network. Um, and then next thing you know, there's another protocol that uses onion messages, and now Lightning has become a general purpose P2P data layer, right? What is my incentive to allow those messages to come through if I'm not being paid for those? If I'm spending money on resources, I need to be paid accordingly for routing messages and payments and data for that. So um, it is a slippery slope because you, you never know what's going to happen, right? What if uh, Onion messages get adopted and now tons of data is being sent around the network, 
right? Um, you know, maybe people won't be able to uh, uh, run those nodes as efficiently, as optimally, and as effectively. Um, so there is some, some questioning there. Um, there are more nuances as well. I think there are benefit, you know, the downside that folks voice on the LNURL side is that it's not the lightning layer, right? And that's a, that's a fair criticism. If you want to stay in the lightning layer, that's fine. LNURL is not in the lightning layer. Um, what's interesting is that because it is on the HTTP layer, there are you know, inherently battle-tested technologies that have been built on HTTP. So an example is rate limiting, right? So uh, as a server, if you get DDoSed or attacked, you will have tons and hundreds of millions of requests to your server. You can rate limit. You can say, if it's coming from this IP, you know, don't allow requests to come through. If it's, you know, if it's coming from this IP, only allow 50 requests, right? You can use battle-tested technologies that have been used in the HTTP layer to scale servers to billions of users. On the Lightning side, not only is Bolt 12 newer, which just like any new technology, it's there. I'm sure there's going to be challenges, um, but you can't do rate limiting, for example, right? The reason for that is the data in the Onion messages is encrypted and anonymous. So you don't actually know who it's coming from or where it's going. So now if I have a bunch of data coming through, I can't say, hey, data from this node shouldn't come to me because I don't want them to send junk data to me. Uh, data from this node can come to me. You don't have those capabilities, right? So as a service provider, um, you know, Zebedee in this case, it is actually very interesting for us to use the HTTP layer because we have technologies, we have battle-tested tools that allows us to scale it and scale it you know, appropriately. Um, that being said, in a world where there is no Bolt 11, which is a normal invoice, and Lightning was created with Bolt 12 from the beginning, I think that would be wonderful, and I think that would have saved us from having to build LNURL with draw and pay. I think that would have saved the, uh, the wallet developers the hassle of building LNURL support, right? That is not the scenario right now. The scenario is Bolt 11, right? So why don't we focus on building uh, invoice orchestration tools, which is what LNURL is, and standards, versus redoing such a massively core piece of what bolts to, of what you know invoices and payments in Lightning are. Um, those are the two sides, right? Now, Bolt 12 has merits, absolutely. I think it does things that LNURL also does. And so being able to receive funds by scanning a QR code, it's wonderful, we should, we should do that. Being able to pay multiple times on the same static QR code, it's wonderful, we should do that. Uh, it just is, seems to be quite a challenging path to adoption as it stands right now. Um, but, you know, I'm excited to see, to see the developments there. Um, there's even a Bolt 12 address thing that was uh, scoped out. The second Lightning address was created, right? So it seems like some ideas are taken from the LNURL side and seeing what works and what doesn't, and then they're trying to bring it into the, light, the Bolt 12 uh, specification. Um, you know, yeah. we never know the future, but that's an exciting development there as well. That's really helpful. Um, one clarifying point there on when Lightning implementations are deciding whether to integrate something, how how are they communicating between each other? What what's that decision making process like of whether or not you know LND is going to adopt Bolt twelve or not? So um, I think what's 
you know, I, I don't know the intricacies of the internals of each of the companies backing the implementations, right? I'm, I'm not part of Lightning Labs or C Light or uh, Blockstream or uh, Async, for example. Um, so I don't know the conversations that are being had there. Uh, what I know is that there are public PRs, right, pull requests in GitHub repositories. There are Lightning mailing list posts, uh, you know, talking about this and discussions and so forth. Um, specifically with LND, uh, LND has a separate potentially alternative for uh, Bolts 12, which is what they've been building with AMP. Uh, so there's been multiple parts, right? So there's the key send was one piece, then uh, uh, multi-part multi payments, MPP was the second piece, and now they have AMP, which is atomic multipath payments. So with AMP, technically, you can have a static QR code, which is what LNURL Pay does, which is what Bolt 12 does, right? So there's competing implementations for similar you know, use cases. Um, and my understanding is that in order to support Bolt 12, there would need to be quite a bit of a refactoring on some core pieces of LND um, on how it works and so forth. So um, these companies also all have their own, you know, business you know, needs and models that they're going for. So it's tough to say, hey, the industry is, has adopted Bolt 12, let's stop what we're doing and let's adopt Bolt 12, right? It's, it's a big ask. Um, I do know that uh, C-Lightning and Async uh, are implementing, uh, they have actually both implemented Onion Messages, they are implementing uh, uh, Bolts 12, and most likely Rust Lightning will as well. So it'll be an interesting dynamic to see what happens then. Does does the Lightning Labs team interact with the rest of the team and, and discuss something? Um, there's an open PR for, you know, introduce Bolts 12 support for LND um, with, without any code changes. It's just a discussion, you know, sort of pull request or, or issue. Um, and there have been no comments. Right, um, and so I think there's been some some internal discussions there, um, but it'll be interesting. I, I don't, I really don't know what's what's going to happen there, and and I'm not privy to the inside discussions of each of the companies. So, that's as much as I, I would know. I think. So it seems like there are all sorts of different implementations um, that are trying to build all sorts of different standards and trying to solve all sorts of different use cases on Lightning right now. Um, what do you think about the the health of the network in terms of like? how these different implementations are communicating with each other, how they're working together to like solve these problems. I know it's a, a, you know, it's a decentralized system, so we want some level of discussion and conversation back and forth. It's not gonna be one company just chugging ahead, you know, pushing everything into uh, production. What do you think about the health and the current state, I guess, of Lightning implementations today? Yeah, so it Again, as you said, I'm not privy to the internal discussions of each of the teams. Um, so there, there definitely are, most likely are business motives pushing towards one you know, uh, implementation or towards the other. Uh, an interesting example is, for example, uh, Async has, they have the Phoenix wallet. Uh, and for Phoenix to work, they use these things called trampoline payments, trampoline routing payments. Um, this is something that they're pursuing because it is a use case that solves problems for their business for their purpose, right? So um, now, are trampoline payments useful? Absolutely, they have their, their place. Um, but Async and Phoenix are, are the ones pushing it forward. Now, if it gets adopted and, it, and the use grows, will other implementations support it? Will we see other use cases for it? Um, I, you know, that, again, it is, it is a very complicated process to change or to adopt or to introduce other technologies to Lightning. That is one of the reasons why I believe LNURL was built on top of it, because we can experiment and iterate more quickly. Um, 
you know, I, I think there are implementations doing different things, which is very interesting. So C Lightning is focusing on being, you know, the enterprise lightning solution of choice, which means that it can decouple very easily, right? You can have a Postgres database backed by two other Postgres databases. You can have multiple nodes backed by the same node. Uh, you can really separate your compute, your cache, your database, which is what's needed to scale enterprise software. Um, so that's one way. Uh, LND is a slightly more friendly, uh, it has a slightly more friendly API, right? To have a RESTful interface, to have a gRPC interface, uh, you know, so there's that piece as well. And, and uh, it, it's, it can also be uh, compiled to mobile. That's how you have Breeze Wallet and Blixed Wallet and, and these wallets like that. Um, async are doing things very differently with Eclair. Uh, they're actually focusing on having highly available Lightning nodes. So, in, again, in an enterprise uh, environment, if you have a server uh, and it crashes, you know, your backup server comes up as, as one way to simplify, right? Um, with Lightning, if you're running a Lightning node right now and you don't have that capability, um, if your Lightning node goes down, technically your funds are at risk, right? Because your Lightning node is not there to secure it and say, hey, you're, you're cheating and you're trying to claim more funds than me. Um, so in an enterprise level, you would need multiple Lightning nodes backing that capability and you need multiple databases. So Eclair is pursuing a highly available you know, approach is, is what it's called. Um, LND is moving towards that direction as well. LDK is doing something very different. They're just a very thin lightning layer that's meant to be coupled into existing Bitcoin wallets, right? So it's a different process and a different use case. Um, so unlike Bitcoin Core, which is the main implementation of Bitcoin, in, in Lightning Network, we have the ability to experiment and, and see these capabilities thrive and the implementations thrive. Uh, an interesting piece is just because something gets adopted in an implementation or a set of implementations does not mean it will become extremely used or useful. An example is Keysend. Keysend is very cool, very useful. Um, and I'm able to pay you directly, Kevin, through your Lightning pub key. Um, and there are use cases around podcasting 2.0, right? And, and Sphinx chat, for example, which allows you to use Keysend. Um, but if, if Keysend was to be a massive standard, how come we didn't create QR codes with your pub keys as identifier, right? Because if I, if I have a QR code with your pub key, through Keysend, I can pay you, right? So why didn't we move in that direction? Um, is it because no team moved in that direction or because no company moved in that direction? Um, why did we move towards an LNURL pay you know, process? Why did we move towards Lightning address, right? So just because it exists does not mean it will be used or, or you know, uh, I guess adopted widely in the network. Um, we really have to see what, what sticks. Um, you know, and, and I think each team is pursuing their own interests and, and you know, it's, it's good, uh, but it does create for the potential for a lot of fragmentation. Uh, I guess we have to see how things evolve. Um, as, as we consume open standards and open networks, my goal is that we continue to support open things and not proprietary, like we do it this way and then you do it that way, even though they are the same things, we speak differently. And now we go back to the old traditional finance where Venmo and Cash App can talk to each other, but they both speak dollars. So we want Lightning to be interoperable and implementations to communicate with each other, um, but we also want experimentation and we want creativity and we want innovation. Um, so it's, it's a balance, right? It's not really a, a simple uh, answer there. Right. Okay, so I guess one more question to finish things off. Mm -hmm. What is a technology or an improvement or a standard that you're excited about uh, in 2022 and 2023 on Lightning? Mm, what am I excited about? Um, 
I think there's been some uh, discussions. There, there's two pieces that I think are worth discussing. One is uh, the notion of hosted channels, um, which is basically a channel, a lightning channel that follows the entire specification of lightning, but it does not have an on-chain footprint. Um, so when you open a lightning channel, you create a Bitcoin transaction, right? Let's just simplify it that way. Um, and when you close a lightning channel, the same thing, you, you go to the blockchain and you, you sort of settle there. Um, with a hosted channel, you get all the benefits of a lightning channel, uh, privacy, uh, onion messages, et cetera, uh, onion routing and so forth. Um, but it's a trusted model. So an example is simple Bitcoin wallet, right? That's a, a wallet that you can download and get, and get started. Uh, again, in Lightning, you need liquidity. So you need to open channels, you need to have channels open to you in order for you to make payments and receive payments. Um, with a hosted channel, what happens is you sign up, you, you open your simple Bitcoin wallet, and a hosted channel automatically opens with you. A hosted channel is you trusting your wallet provider, right? Um, and you can actually close that channel later on, but what that means is the provider is giving you the ability to send and receive immediately as you open the wallet, right? So that's a great onboarding tool. So hosted channel is exciting, and I think it opens the, capability, the, the possibility for a lot more things because you don't have the dependency on the, the blockchain itself, on the, on the Bitcoin layer one, so, but it is a trade-off, right? You lose the trustlessness aspect of it. It's definitely a trusted setup. But when it comes to custodial providers, when it comes to trusted interactions, maybe it is not that worse, that, that bad of an of a, of a implementation. So that's one piece that I think is interesting. It's called hosted channels. And uh, actually, Alex Bosworth has been discussing uh, similar ideas uh, on Twitter recently. And then the other one that I think is cool is, is the notion of stateless invoices. So. Right now, you go to a website uh, and you click pay and it issues you an invoice with an expiration date, right? Um, now imagine in a scenario where you get DDoSed or you have hundreds of thousands of people paying you know, directly there. Um, you have a ton of invoices being generated, right? Uh, as heavy users of, uh, we, we use LND, but as heavy users of the LND implementation, um, the more invoices that are created, the more data is stored in our databases for the invoices, right? I need to keep a record of the database to know who's paying and what is the payment for and so on and so forth. Um, stateless invoices mean that the invoice itself can live as a QR code and, and it, it can exist without dampening the performance and the data that's saved in the back end and the, and the Lightning Node side, right? So this is something that used from the bottle pay team has voiced over the mailing list. Um, it's an idea that Fiat Jaff has worked with on the C Lightning side uh, last year, you know, and I would love to be able to, to just have stateless invoices that can exist and don't have to dampen the, the performance and the data on the side of the provider uh, because then you can use, you can request 100 million trans invoices and it would be fine. But if you request million transactions, a million invoices right now, my database in the node will grow tremendously and everything will start running slower and I need to, you know, I need technical operators to deal with that. Um, in, in LND, we call that database compaction. Um, so we're compacting all the time because we're creating so many invoices and in a world where we have stateless invoices, that, that sounds very, very cool for me. Um, and then last but not least, any and all advancements in the Lightning address side is very interesting. We talked a lot about it. Uh, some of these new capabilities that will be coming out are very cool and I look forward to that in 2022. Awesome. I'm excited to follow along with Lightning addresses, with Zebedee, with, with all the innovation happening in Lightning. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. This was this was an incredible uh, masterclass. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I hope we can chat again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. This was a great conversation. Welcome to the lightning round presented by Voltage.
Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. Many of the apps and services you already use in the Bitcoin and Lightning ecosystem already use Voltage um, to scale their business quickly and easily without any maintenance. Um, Voltage also offers an inbound liquidity product called Flow that helps you as a node operator get inbound liquidity quickly and easily. Um, overall, Voltage is creating the industry standard of non-custodial products, helping brands and startups and entrepreneurs scale. To learn more about Voltage, visit voltage.cloud. All right, let's get into it now. In the last week, we've had 11 different supporters sending in SaaS to the show. Thank you all for those SaaS. Um, we also had eight different episodes supported. So people sent in SaaS in response to eight different episodes this week. Um, and we also had five messages in just the last couple of days since the last episode came out. First up from ThrillerX says, Kevin is fire emoji, lightning emoji, fire emoji, lightning emoji, fire emoji. Uh, Kian, let the man talk. <laughs> That's in response to episode 17 uh, with Kian at Stacker News. Uh, I learned a ton from that episode. If you haven't seen it already, check it out or go check out stacker.news if you want to see what Stacker News is all about. Um, next up, we had uh, Raven, who sent in 11 sats and says, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 28. Um, Raven also sent in their lightning address and was the only comment to include a lightning address. So they win the 1800 sats. I believe that's Raven's third W. So nice work there. Uh, Bobby sent in some comments and said, let's win 1800 sats. Another entry, let's win. Another, another, that's three messages. Bobby, you forgot to put your lightning address, buddy. Um, all the best for uh, for next time though. I'll do another giveaway this, this episode. So because it's episode 19, I'm gonna give away 1900 sats uh, to any listener. I'll pick one who sends in their lightning address. The last three times or the last four times, there's actually only been one person to send in their lightning address. So your odds are pretty good. Um, but just remember to include a lightning address because I cannot pay directly within Fountain right now. Um, I hope to see a ton of comments and questions from this episode. I learned so much listening to Andre talk. Um, and I can't wait to see what you guys send in for uh, questions next week. 